All right, praise the Lord. Let's go ahead and open up our book to uh, Romans chapter 14, or 15, excuse me. I'm going to pick it up in verse 14 and kind of get a little run and start at that, kind of recap a little bit anyway. Uh, we're going to be finishing up, uh, probably won't be tonight, but we've only got one more chapter to go in 16, so read ahead because what I'm going to be doing is we're going to be going into Hebrews because Hebrews and Romans need to be read side by side. Uh, I know it's not chronological, but in reality, it actually, systematically, theologically speaking, it is. And it should be read right beside each other. So read ahead in Hebrews. Um, we're going to be covering a lot, of, a lot of really, really great stuff. But Paul's got some stuff here tonight that I think needs to be really looked at a little bit more in depth. So let's go ahead and look at verse 14 and 15 and 16, and then we'll, we'll talk a little bit about that. Paul says, and I myself also am persuaded of you, my brother, that you also are full of goodness, filled with all knowledge, able also to admonish one another. Nevertheless, brethren, I have written the more boldly unto you in some sort, as putting you in mind, because of the grace that is given to me of God, that I should be the minister of Jesus Christ to the Gentiles, ministering the gospel of God, that the offering up of the Gentiles might be acceptable, being sanctified by the Holy Ghost. I like the fact that Paul says he was confident of the Roman believers. Even though Paul had only knew a few of these people uh, superficially, I mean basically only by association, he had never been there. He was basing all of his knowledge off of their reputation. And so it's very powerful to me. It always has been when I would read this, this section, and every time I would teach through it, when he says, you know, I, I'm confident, I'm persuaded of you. Because he was basing this only on their reputation. It reminds me of a verse, and, I, and let's, let's just turn it. I want to show you a couple of verses. Proverbs 22, 1. Uh, let me just, I'll tell you, if you want to turn, you can. If you don't want to, just listen. I'll just read it for you. Proverbs 22, 1. Here's, here's what the Lord said. A good name is rather to be chosen than great riches, and loving favor rather than silver and gold. I remember years ago, when I was a brand new Christian, in the bookstore, of course, you know, when you first get on fire for the Lord, you know, I, was, I gravitated to Christian bookstores because everything, I wanted everything to, to be about Jesus, you know. And so you got to buy everything that says Jesus. And so I would go there, and they, they had this little rack of these little uh, um, bookmarks. And it had names on them, you know, had Doug and, you know, <laughs> Marilyn. And it, it, it had all these on it. And, and, but the verse that they used was Proverbs 22.1. A good name is rather to be chosen than great riches. And, of course, being a young Christian and not being able to quote more than two verses at the time, I, I, I believed it. I thought that that's what it meant. A good name. Well, Doug's a good name. It must be because it's on a bookmark. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Now, I've come to find out. Doug is a Celtic name, Douglas is. So for anybody listening to this by radio, if your name's Douglas, let me tell you what that word actually means. <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah. It's like, what was my mother thinking? You know, I, I know that there were some great guys. I think they were thinking of Douglas MacArthur, you know, all these great guys at the time when I was born. It's Celtic. It means from the deep, dark waters. I said, what? From the deep? What does that mean? You know, it's like, that, that doesn't even sound good. From the deep, dark waters. So no, that's not what the verse is talking about. Proverbs is a good name. In the Hebrew, that word name here, he's talking about reputation. A good reputation is rather to be had than great riches 
and loving favor rather than silver or gold. And loving favor. One of the things I love about God the most, about Jesus Christ, is I have his loving favor. I have the favor of God all my life. You have the favor of God on your life. And sometimes that makes people, for whatever reason, envious and sometimes resentful. You kind of understand it when Paul talked about provoking the Jews to jealousy by the Gentiles. He wanted to provoke them by seeing God's favor being poured out upon the Gentiles, how the Gentiles would bask in the relationship that they had with the Lord. You know, they would bask in that the grace and the mercy and not having to earn it, having done nothing to receive it other than receive it. Paul said, provoke them to jealousy. Draw them in with that. Let them see that. So I want to encourage you in the same way. Bask in the mercy and in the favor of God and let people know that you do. You know, let them know it. Because here's what's going to happen. They're going to say, well, you think you're special? <laughs> I know I'm special. <laughs> I know I am. But you are too. It's not just, oh, look at me. No, 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 no. No, we bask in the favor. One of the coolest things as a young minister, I remember listening about Chuck Smith, was I remember Don McClure, who pastors a huge coverage house. I remember Don and, and Greg Laurie and those guys, when they were young, they were sitting there at Costa Mesa, and... They said one of the things that they loved about Chuck was that Chuck just expected God to bless him. He just expected it. I mean, that, that, you know, when you come to Christ, and when you come to God, that's a foreign concept because we come to God in one or two ways, man. We were either so wretched, we believe, you know, how bad we were. We all have our own stories. Or we were so bad that when we come to Jesus, we just want to do everything right so we become very legalistic not understanding the grace of God, or we know absolutely nothing, and we don't think maybe we were that bad, so we become very liberal, you know, and so kind of just like flopping into bed, whatever, you know, trying to make our way into it. But eventually, as we grow in the mercy and the grace and the love and the knowledge of Jesus Christ, we come to that equilibrium where both sides come to that, that place of balance, of basking in the mercy and, and the grace of God. It's important that we do. It's important that people know it. Because so often, they're not going to understand it. Even, and I'm talking about brothers and sisters in Christ. Especially if you mess up. Especially if you have a failure in your life. And I'm speaking from personal experience on this. You have a failure in your life, and then what they wind up seeing is God, instead of cursing you, instead of thrashing you, instead of condemning you, what's he do? He comes in, blesses you, favors you. And why? Because he's condoning what you've done? No, he feels sorry for you. Do you realize that? Do you realize that when we sin... God's in his grace. The Bible tells us that's why Hebrews is so important. We do not serve a high priest, Jesus Christ, who cannot be touched by our infirmities. He knows, man. He knows. He knows what sin does to us. You know, when you look at, uh, he wept, you know, one of the shortest verses in the Bible. Everybody's can you quote a verse? Yes, I can quote it. Jesus wept. <laughs> but why did he weep? Why? Why did he weep? And so often people say, well, because he loved Lazarus so much. Well, he did love Lazarus. What he wept at was the result of sin. Jesus saw the result of sin and he wept. You know, he feels for us, man. He cares for us. He knows we are but dust. He knows. And he has taken care of it. So God favors us. He loves us. And he just wants to 
pour that out on us. And I would tell you, accept it. Just receive it, man. It's, it's, you know, and God does that in so many ways. And he does it in so many different ways with each and every one of us. You know, and even in Ecclesiastes chapter 7, verse 1, you can write it down. He says, a good name, once again, a good reputation is better than precious ointment. And the day of death than the day of one's birth. Listen, I wrote a poem, and I'm not going to recite it to you, but maybe I'll, I'll get a copy of it. But in the poem, you know, there was just something that the Lord, it was, it was really, it came to me at a really bad time in my life, as a Christian, as a pastor even at the time. But I remember writing the poem. It was like, what will people think about me in the end? Because I've always preached, and I still believe to this day, that it's not how you start, it's how you finish, you know? That's what they're going to remember the most. And I talked in the poem about my epitaph. You know, what, what are they going to put on my grave, you know? And all I wanted to say is he loved God the most. It's not going to matter what my wife thought about me. I hope that she thought well. It's not going to matter what my kids think about me. It's not going to matter what anybody else. I just want my epitaph to be he loved God the most, you know? That I loved the word of God. I taught, I stayed faithful to the faith. I wasn't always faithful to the Lord. And there's a vast difference. Why? Because I've went my own way. I've done my own thing. So have you. We all have. But we stay faithful to Jesus Christ. You know, we, 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 we want to be faithful to the faith, I guess is what I'm trying to say. And stay in it. And God knows us, man. He really does. And he loves you. And he wants to just pour out his mercy and his grace and his favor on you. And so just receive it. You know, don't feel guilty about it. You shouldn't. You know. Paul talks here, he said that these guys were full of goodness. You know, and some people would jump to the verse where Jesus said, there's none good but the Lord. You know, and it's true. But it's not really what he's meaning here. The word goodness here in the Greek simply means virtuous. These people were virtuous. They were a virtuous people. And because of their acceptance of the gospel and being transformed, as we've talked in earlier chapters, by the Holy Spirit in a renewing of their minds, the Roman church was a virtuous church whose lives among unbelievers were not inconsistent with what they were preaching. You know, Dave touched on just a little bit in the 945 service today. Uh, that in the Corinthian church, you know, the Corinthian church was a church that was given to craziness and all kinds of, you know, nutty stuff. And they got into all kinds of, and immorality. And so Paul got into talking about, we need to talk about that in the church today, gang. We need to get back to talking about that. Because so often, you know, we, we, we wait until the damage is done. You know, we wait and then we want to fix that because it could be a great testimony. Well, it can. But wouldn't it be? I, I, I remember uh, a good friend of mine, uh, a close acquaintance, let me, put, let me rephrase that. Pastor's a huge church. But I remember his testimony one time. And he said, you know, he grew up at the foot, literally at the foot of, of Chuck Smith, sitting in the laying on the floor with his Bible open, listening to this man simply teach the Word of God for years. He grew up that way. Never smoked, never tasted tobacco, never tasted alcohol, never didn't smoke, didn't chew, didn't go with girls that do, that whole thing. He didn't do any of that. And wound up pastoring, still does, one of the largest churches in America today. That's great. That's the way it should be. I, I, I don't envy a guy like that, but at the same time, I'm going, man, I wish I'd have done that. What's wrong with not having scars? What's wrong with not having a path? I would love to be able to stand up and tell you, man, you know what? I just simply, when I got saved, I followed the Lord. I just kept my nose to the grindstone. You know, and because of the power of the Holy Spirit to favor God on me, I never made one bad choice in my life. I would love to be able to say that. But not many of us can. 
you know. So guys like Skip, you know, they're, uh, they're an anomaly. But they are out there. But you don't, you know, like I, I used to run a laboratory for years. I used to tell people, you don't have to drink strychnine to know that it will kill you, you know. But unfortunately, sometimes we, we think that we need to taste sin in order to, I guess, you know, realize how bad we don't. No, 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 you don't. You know, once again, the Bible's very clear on these things, but especially in the area of sexual immorality. We need to find the kids when they're young, the young ladies, the young men, and we need to teach them virtue. Now, the thing I love about the Roman church was here's a group of people, and I told you before I ever started this study, I said, I've never met people who just simply read the Word of God and took it for what it said and applied it to their life. I never met anybody that I, I rarely ever disagreed with with anything doctrinally. Why? Because when the Bible's taken chapter by chapter, verse by verse, in its context, you just find people of like mind. We just seem to come to that nice equilibrium. These guys were the same way. Also, when you're raising and training up your child in the love and admonition of the Lord by taking them through the Word of God, you got, you, you're going to cover those subjects of virtue. You're going to cover those subjects of, of immorality and those type of things. It needs to be discussed. You know, uh, so often we just didn't hear, I mean, I, I grew up, you know, my parents were Christians. <coughs> Pardon me, but um, they were very immature Christians and really were never discipled and didn't know a lot of things. So a lot of things didn't get talked about. And when it did, sometimes it was more laughed at than it was talked about serious. And so, you know, a lot of us wound up making decisions that wasn't healthy. But Paul says that these guys here were virtuous. They were, they were a, a church that were, was moved and transformed and they were consistent in their walk. They were filled with all knowledge. The, the, they just knew the Word of God. And they were able to admonish one another. And, and this is another great trait about these guys in Rome. You know, when the body of Christ is firmly grounded in the grace and knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ, those believers will be more able to admonish one another. And admonishment is simply a caution. It's a uh, it's to caution somebody, to reprove gently. It's not like a rebuke. Rebuke has a more pointed and sometimes not necessarily meant to be a soft effect. Rebuke is a little more, uh, a little more uh, uh, direct. But admonishing one another and, and trying to get people to do, not only to instruct what is right, but to encourage them to do what is right. You know, there's a vast difference. And you can know what's right and not do what's right. So that's kind of the way these guys, they were able to admonish one another, to instruct one another, and point each other in the right direction. Paul calls himself a minister of Jesus Christ to the Gentiles. In fulfilling his call to the Gentiles, Paul did not just preach the gospel of salvation, but would instruct the believers. And I always like that about him. You'll see this as we go through the scriptures, especially when we get to places like Corinthians and the book of Acts. You'll see Paul going into the synagogue, preaching the gospel, and those that believed he would stay. And then he would teach, taking them through the scriptures, giving them the full counsel of God. It's extremely important. That's why you see so many babies in the body of Christ in general. I'm talking about the body of Christ at large. Why? Because they've never been through the Word of God. They're living on sermonettes. You can't live on sermonettes, gang. Not if you're going to grow in the Lord. You know, it's the Word of God that produces the growth. I mean, so much so that the Bible tells us, and, I, and we read this, the very first sermon I did, you know, in this series, was that he has exalted his word even above his name. Now, boy, that's a pretty high place to be. So if God puts that type of exaltation upon his own word, we should too. 
because it just produces those things that are good. But he was a minister, Paul said, of Jesus Christ. The word used here in verse 16 is interesting to me because it's not used anywhere else. When Paul talks about being a minister here, this word is not used anywhere else. In the Greek, it means to give priestly service to. I was a minister to the Gentiles. A priestly service is what he's talking about. Giving a priestly service. Now, we're all called to the royal priesthood, that is in Jesus Christ. But Paul, this is the only place he uses this term. And I just always thought that that was interesting. That his offering of the Gentiles, Paul making that point here, that when the Gentiles' uh, lives glorify God, then that their offering to God is acceptable and sanctified by the Holy Spirit. So Paul saw himself as in doing this priestly service so that their offering would be holy and acceptable by the Holy Spirit. Look at verse 17. I, therefore, whereof, I have, therefore, whereof, that I may glory through Jesus Christ in those things which pertain to God. For I will not dare to speak of any of those things which Christ hath not wrought by me to make the Gentiles obedient by the word indeed, through mighty signs and wonders, by the power of the Holy Spirit of God, so that from Jerusalem and round about to Lycrinium, I have fully preached the gospel of Christ, Paul had something to glory about. And I love this because I actually had a woman many years ago who was a visitor. And I was talking about this very issue and she got very offended. Uh, which isn't hard if you listen to me long enough. But it's not, it's not intended. You know, the word just says what it does and sometimes it offends people. But we were talking about this issue of glorying, you know. And, and Paul talked about, you know, he would not glory except in the things which Christ had done through him. And Paul talks a lot about the stuff that Christ had done to him. But she got all in an uproar because she thought that there was inconsistent, you know, that we shouldn't be glorious. And I said, well, you're misunderstanding here. You know, and so, so often people do. So just to clear up so we don't misunderstand anything, let's turn to Philippians. We're going to read several verses here. Uh, Philippians chapter 3, let's look at verse 1. And uh, we're going to read uh, about 10 verses of this. And once again, keep it in mind, Paul talking about glorying in the things of Christ. And I want to encourage you to do that. It's not a bad thing. It's a great thing. You should be able to do that. And, and, and even more so as we, as we come to this understanding as we read this here. Let's look at verse 1. He says, Finally, my brother, rejoice in the Lord. You know, to write the same things to you, to me indeed is not grievous, but for you it is safe. Beware of dogs. Hermeneutics, gang. Dogs always represent what in the Bible? Always. Hermeneutics, unbelievers. Every time you see a dog's mentioned in hermeneutics, that's, that's an unbeliever. He's talking about unbelievers. Beware of unbelievers. Beware of dogs. Beware of evil workers. Beware of the concision. For we are the circumcision which worship God in the Spirit and rejoice in Christ Jesus and have no confidence in the flesh. Though I, now here's where he gets to it. I love this about it. Get this. I want you to get this. Though I might also have confidence in the flesh. If any man other, uh, if any other man thinketh that he might have whereof that he might trust in the flesh, I more. Here's where Paul starts going. If you think you trust in it, let me tell you something about me. This is where I love him, man. This is so cool. Circumcised the eighth day. I mean, I can see him standing there and, and, and boldly proclaiming this. Circumcised the eighth day of the stock of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of the Hebrews, as touching the law of Pharisee 
concerning zeal, persecuting the church, touching the righteousness which is of the law, blameless. Now think about that statement. Paul says the righteousness which was of the law, he was blameless. He names all these accolades that he applied to himself. Now look what he says about it. But what things were gained to me, he's talking about in the world, those things are profitable in the world. Oh, we put a lot of stock in religiosity, don't we? We really do. You know, what did Jesus even talked about? Certain people, they want to wear certain robes. They want to put the phylacteries on their heads. They want to appear to be something. When in reality, Jesus told his own disciples, it shall not be so among you. You know, there is no big eyes and little U's in the kingdom of God. There's only us. And we all serve a different office, but Paul's making this, this, this proclamation here about what he was like in the world and how that was profitable to him. But what things that were gained to me, he says, those I counted lost for Christ, yea, doubtless, and I count all things but lost for the excellency of the knowledge of Christ Jesus my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things and do count them but dung. And in the Greek, that word means exactly what it says. Some of your Bibles will mistranslate it refuse because they're trying to be politically correct. This word could not be more unpolitically correct. You could only make it stronger. You couldn't make it anywhere. He counted everything that he had gained in the world through religion as dung. Why? That I might win Christ. And be found in him, not having my own righteousness, not pointing to my accolades, which is of the law, but that which is through the faith of Christ, the righteousness which is of God by faith, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings, being made conformable unto his death. So Paul put no confidence in any of the achievements that he had had before he knew Christ. Therefore, no one can misconstrue when Paul speaks about glorying in the Lord of the things which Christ had done through him, that it wasn't in any wise, that, you know, that he was not trying to glorify or add, had some sort of adulation about himself. It, it wasn't that at all. Quite the contrary. Paul was directing their attention to the power of the Holy Spirit who will, even in our time and in our modern time, bring about mighty signs and wonders through any man or woman who has humbled themselves before the Lord. God wants to do things through you. Did you know that? One of the things, and here's why we don't see it. I've had people come to me uh, so many times over the years and on radio and everything else, and here's a question I get a lot. How come we don't see the miracles that we saw in the Bible? How come we don't see the miracles like we see in the book of Acts? I said, I don't know which life you're living, brother, but I do see them. But I'm talking, they're talking healings. They're talking, it does happen every day. But it doesn't happen every day in the life of every person and in the life of every Christian. But yet it could. It could. When you, when you watch these guys and we go, I can't wait to get to the book of Acts. When we get to there, and you see Peter and John walk up to the beautiful gate and the guy sitting there who's been a cripple from life, you know? And, and, and he, he, they, the first thing out of their mouth was they said, look on us. Look on us. Silver and gold have I none, but such as I have in the name of Jesus Christ, rise and walk. The man leaped up and he was healed instantaneous. Of course, they had to calm him down because he jumped to some crazy conclusions because he was so happy about being able to walk, which they did. 
But this was typical, typical. It's, I would desire for anybody, whether you're sitting here, whether you listen to my radio, to take a step of faith. And here's what I mean by that. So often people will come and maybe, maybe you have experiences, maybe you haven't, but uh, you know, people come to you and ask for prayer. And sometimes even for something serious. I always hated it when somebody would come and, and, and ask for prayer, and, and I would hear somebody pray for them and go, Lord, if it's your will. Now, let me give you a common sense thing here. Everything is according to God's will. We can agree on that, right? God is sovereign. You're not going to change his will. God's will has been the same yesterday, today, and forever. He knows what he's doing. It, it's not something that is flexible. The Lord changes not. He doesn't bend anybody's will. He, he only serves his own because his own is only for our good. So that's a given, okay? But a lot of times when we pray for people, so often when you say, well, Lord, touch this cancer, and if it be your will, let this brother... Sometimes what you're saying is, listen, people are in different stages in their life, okay? And when you get a person who's really sick, that person is at the lowest part of their life at that moment, okay? The last thing they want to hear is somebody else having doubt, okay? There's two types of faith. I want you to understand. So faith isn't some some thing that you tap into like so many of the talking heads on television tell you. Faith, faith is something that comes only through God. But there's two types. There's active and there's passive. What's the difference? Passive faith says God can do this. Active faith says God will. Why? Because we're praying according to the will of God. Now, is it God's will that every person be healed? Absolutely not. There's some great preachers out there, you know. Guys, I'll tell you, one of my favorite, to be honest with you, is a guy by the name of uh, Joseph Prince. Now, I like Joseph Prince. Why? Because he understands the grace of God. And he is a proponent of the faith that comes only through that. He, he's great on that. But he has, I have somewhat ought against him. Because he has taken that and then he has coupled it with a very bad heresy within the church. And it's heresy. To, to teach somebody that, that God wants everybody well... That God went, this is great. Well, then you know what? Take that faith down to the hospital, brother, and let me know how that works out. Because I've seen too many brothers. One of the pastors, one of the greatest men of God, just went home to be with the Lord a year ago of lung cancer, who never smoked a cigarette in his life, never took a drink of alcohol, and yet God used him to bring about one of the greatest revivals that this country's ever seen, Chuck Smith. Nobody would argue that, that knows church history in this country. And yet he died of lung cancer. So don't tell me. You know, Paul said he had a friend who he had left in Miletus sick. Now, if Paul the Apostle left a friend sick, it's a pretty fair bet that it isn't God's will that everybody be healed. But at that time, when you have the opportunity to pray for somebody, here's what I would tell you. Pray and say, Lord, heal this person. And then let God do it. Get out of the way is what I'm telling you. Don't affect the mind of the person that you're, you're praying for. Does that make sense to you? Because you're going to put doubt in their mind. Every time I would teach through the Gospel of John, when it talks about the woman who came with the issue of blood, remember that story? And it says that she reached out and she touched the hem of Jesus' garment. Every time I tell I always bring my shawl because I like to give an illustration of what that really looked like because what, what she's talking about was Jesus was wearing his prayer shawl, which he wore all the time. Why? Because he was a Jew. And he was a good Jewish boy. And that's what he did. That's what good Jewish boys do. You know? You wear that prayer shawl. 
But they looked at that shawl, especially from a man of God like Jesus was, and there was people who thought there were power in that shawl. They thought there was power in it. They actually passed them down from generation to generation because if they've been used in prayer, they actually think it's like infused with power. It's ridiculous, okay? But it's not. It's not the But she reached out, and that's when it says she reached out to touch the hem of his garment, the tassels, the 39 tassels that would represent every stripe that he would take from the Romans was dangling, and that's what she reached out to touch. And she touched that because at that moment she believed because it was attached to him. So it was, it was a connection. It was a, 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 something significant or tangible that, that made her faith connect to Jesus Christ. And at that moment, she, Jesus said he actually felt that virtue leave his body. And that woman was healed. The first time I ever had God use me in a way like that was similar. <clears throat> I was a very young man. I was an assistant pastor. Uh, and probably shouldn't have been, just because of my youth. I just, but the problem with knowledge and wisdom, let me just give this to you, you can know a lot, but that doesn't necessarily equal wisdom. So I, you know, when God gifted me, when it comes to the Word of God, as I began, I knew a lot of Bible. And unfortunately, some people mistook that for wisdom, <laughs> including me at times. And uh, so anyway, I was a young man, very young. And uh, this lady had come, uh, we always had a, a moment of prayer at the end of service, and, and she came forward and said that, you know, she'd had this problem, female problem, and uh, had had it for over 20 years. And uh, doctors uh, really couldn't figure out why, and she had prayed, and the Lord told her to come forward and wanted me to pray for her. Wanted me to pray for her. The pastor was standing right there. She wanted me to pray for her. And I was like, oh. Okay, all right. Uh, I've got some oil on me here somewhere. You know, I started digging, digging in my pocket for my little vial, you know. And I didn't know what to do. You know, here I was, 25, I think, you know, very young man. And never. So, you know, I just, I thought, you know what, this, the Lord told her to have, okay, all right. So I just, I just embraced the moment. I said, okay, you know, Lord. So I laid hands on her and I said, Lord, you told this woman to come to me. So I'm saying heal her in the name of Jesus Christ. And I left it at that. Two days later, she came back with her doctor report that that woman had been totally healed. Wow. Praise the Lord. What's that prove? God will use a rock. <laughs> He'll use anybody. You know what I mean? You just got to be open to things. So, but you know, through the years, what I did learn is that it's not always God's will that everybody be healed. But I have, because I've been able to just simply take a step of faith, I have laid hands on people and seen them healed of cancer I don't know how many times. I've laid hands on people and seen them healed of all kinds of stuff. I had women in our fellowship who would come because I was pretty consistent with uh, women would get pregnant. And it was just weird. You know, it just, they wanted to know what they were having. And a couple of, you know, I could just tell them. And uh, one time I missed it, and that was with my daughter, and that was only because I was hoping. So I stepped into the flesh on that one. But my only point is, is that, you know, God will use you to do anything. Take a step of faith. Just do it. See what the Lord will do through you. You know, it doesn't make you any more holy. It, doesn't, it just makes you surrendered. You know, God will use anybody. It's got nothing to do with how much you pray, how much Bible you, it's got none of that. You look at the guys that Jesus used in the Bible, man. I will emphasize this till the day I go home to be with the Lord. Most of these guys were knuckleheads. They were knuckleheads. And I look at that and I go, oh, my lands, thank you, Lord, because you know what? I, that gives hope for me. And that gives hope for you. 
Because it means that, you know what, it's not how they started, it's how they finished. And look at how most of these guys finished. They all finished well. And that's what we hope for. We want to finish well. But you know what? We want to finish strong. And we want, we want to be people of the Spirit and people of the Word and being able to allow the Lord to use you. So when you pray for somebody, just pray that God will heal them. You know, it's not up to you anyway. It's up to the Lord. So don't put that seed of doubt in their head is all I'm telling you. So don't, don't say, oh, Lord, if it's your will, because right away you're just putting a doubt in it. This person's already down. Otherwise, they wouldn't be asking for prayer, right? So just pray and see what the Lord will do. Take a step of faith, you know? Don't just say God can do it. Say God will do it. And you'll be shocked at how many times he will meet you there. And he will. And so often, you know, and hey, oh, it, comes, it will come back to you as a blessing so many times. So many people over the years, you know, when, when I found myself at a time when I needed it the most, some of the people who the Lord had used me to bless and to heal had, had wrote me and said, oh, you know, and, and I needed that at that time. So it comes back to you, man. It comes back to you. Paul talks here about preaching the full gospel. This, this always jumps out at me because, you know, there's a lot of talk today, even, about the full gospel. I, this used to drive me crazy because we, I had churches all around me. I don't know if we have any in this town, but in the last town where I was pastor, we had several churches. There's so-and-so full gospel. And I, and I got to be friends with one of the pastors, and he was, a, he was still a good guy. And I remember asking him, I said, are you insinuating that other people don't have the full gospel? <laughs> just, just asking, bro, you know, are you the only ones that's got it? Because what they call the full gospel isn't really the full gospel. It's, it, it is a part of the Christian experience, but it's got nothing to do with the gospel. And most of the time when you hear the word full gospel, they're talking about the baptism of the Holy Spirit and other things. That's a part of the Christian experience. It's not a part of the gospel. Okay, There's a vast difference between the two. When Paul talks about it, you know, he's talking about preaching and teaching the full counsel of God. The full gospel. Jesus lived for you. He died for you. He rose from the dead for you. He stands at the right hand of the Father making intercession for you. That's the full gospel. That's it. You know, and how that benefits us. We are, you know, Dave touched on it today in the 945. You know, we are joint heirs with Christ. Yes. You know, man, that is... Oh, my Lance, that alone ought to be enough to make you want to shout and, 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 to, and to spread that to somebody else and, and let somebody else see that. But that is the full gospel. But I want to show you something. Turn to Acts with me, chapter 20. <clears throat> and let's look at verse 25. This is a very interesting piece of Scripture. And, and, uh, but I love what Paul says here. Now, he's getting ready to leave, and he's talking to the elders there at this particular uh, town. And He says, and now, starting in verse 25, he says, and now, behold, I know that you all, among whom I have gone preaching the kingdom of God, shall see my face no more. Wherefore, I take you to record this day that I am pure from the blood of all men. This is an interesting verse that, that Paul, or statement that he makes here. You know, Paul said, I am pure from the blood of all men. You know, in the book of Ezekiel, I'll just throw this in there for free. You know, in the book of Ezekiel, we're told that if the, if the wicked sin a sin, and you don't warn him of his wickedness, and he dies in his sin, his blood shall be required at your hand. Okay? 
Context, context, okay? Because as a young Christian, I took that personal. I didn't take it as though he was telling this to Ezekiel, who became a watchman on the wall, really. You know, because under Christ, and they, you know, you, we do have the commission to preach the gospel, okay? But Paul kind of leans back on this, and this is kind of what he's referring to. So even in his own self, he said, I'm free of the blood of all men. I have preached the gospel is what he's talking about. For I have not shunned to declare unto you all the counsel of God. He had not shunned to declare the whole counsel. Take heed, therefore, he says unto yourselves, and to all the flock over which the Holy Ghost hath made you overseers to feed the church of God, which he hath purchased with his own blood. You see that? This is a great verse. Verse 28. Some of your Bibles, the newer translations are going to twist this, but I'm telling you in the Greek, if you check it, it says exactly what I just read. And why is that important? Because this is one of the great Jesus deity verses in the Bible. Take heed therefore unto yourselves and to all the flock over which the Holy Ghost has made you overseers to feed the church of God which he purchased with his own blood. You couldn't get more plainer than that when he says God purchased it with his own blood. You'll have people tell you, well, you know, the Bible doesn't really say that Jesus is God. I got news for you. The Bible says all through it that Jesus is God. Jesus made the declaration himself. The Pharisees knew and was going to stone him for that. So this is a great, great verse. But once ago, Paul was talking about the full counsel. You know, just absolutely. Let's, let's jump back to our text, verse 20. Yea, so have I strived to preach the gospel, not where Christ was named, lest I should build upon another man's foundation. But as it is written, to whom he was not spoken of, they shall see, and they that have not heard shall understand. You know, Paul talks about building on another man's foundation. While <laughs> I want to make it clear, I don't necessarily see a problem with building upon another man's foundation. Uh, an example, sometimes pulpits become empty. They need to be filled. So you've got to have another man come in and, and fill that pulpit or somebody, or, or uh, you know, whatever the ministry thing might be. Sometimes people have to do that. But what we're seeing today and have been for many years now, is you're seeing a big influx of young men who have went to Bible college or seminary, and they walk out of that Bible college or seminary right into a vacant pulpit. And so they never really had the opportunity. I thank God I didn't have that experience. And I'm not saying my, you know, the way God did it with me is the only way it can be. I'm not saying that. Don't misunderstand me. But I thank God because, you know, as we've been reading Paul talking about, and we're still going to touch on some of this, Paul talking about glorying about what the Lord had done through him. I feel sorry for some of these young pastors and young ministers because they have just walked into an established church or whatever. Why? Because they don't really get to see what God would do through them. Why? Because they, they're coming out of there and they're building upon another man's foundation. That's fine if that's what you're called to do. But what we're seeing and what we're not seeing is men who are engaged with passion in their preaching. Why? Because they have not been, what's the word I'm looking for? They haven't experienced the Lord taking them, sending them to some place maybe where they've never been before, and letting them start a Bible study, and letting that Bible study turn into a church, and watch that church turn into a viable community-affecting body, 
and have them stand up there every Sunday and Wednesday or however many times they have service and look out at these people that the Lord, that he knows that the Lord had used him to do. Paul says this about his own walk. That, you know, look at all the churches that had came out of Paul's ministry. I just feel sorry for these guys. I'm not picking on them. It's certainly not a criticism. I'm just saying that it is, it is the way things are today. And that's why we don't see a lot of guys who are on fire. The ones, you know, we have non-denominational churches, and a lot of those are the fastest growing. Why? Because a lot of those guys came out of Bible college or whatever. They started in a home. They've watched their ministries, and they get energized by that. That's why I was encouraging you. Just take a step of faith. Let the Lord use you. What's going to happen? Your, your faith in the Lord using you is going to grow so much exponentially it will. When you see God come in and, and touch you and do and bless somebody else through you, and I'm talking about healings, I'm talking about mighty signs and wonders. That hasn't stopped. It hasn't stopped. One of the greatest mighty signs and wonders is watching somebody come to faith in Jesus Christ. That's a great sign and a wonder. But another great sign and wonder is watching people be healed and watching people watch God do all kinds. That's today, man. That happens. I've experienced it more times than I could count in my own life. Why? Just because I just believed it and was just ignorant enough to say, Lord, okay, whatever you want to do. Take a step of faith. So often these guys are not going to be able to, they're not going to experience that, but I want you to. You know, and it doesn't matter what that thing is, whether it's starting a journaling business or where you're writing in Bibles, and which is kind of crazy when people would look at that. But I think it's so cool to watch that happened, and because I remember the first time, uh, I'm not going to mention your name because we're we're going to be on radio. But I remember just having that discussion up here one night. When I was it was just fairly new, and she was so excited, man. She was like, "Wow!" She was talking about, and I had no idea what she was talking about. She was talking about writing in her Bible. I'm thinking, certain churches that'd be sacrilege, you know. <laughs> I remember, I remember when I was in the Nazarene church. I was just a puppy. I'm going to throw this one in for fun. I was a puppy in the Lord, and we had pew Bibles. They had brand new pew Bibles. And I remember because we were just devouring the Word of God. I mean, I had like 15 of these teenagers that were following me to church. We were having Bible study every chance we got at the house. They were just tearing these Bibles up. Not the pew Bibles, but their own Bibles. They were just chewing up. and you know. So they would walk into things would be all dog-eared. And I remember looking at these pristine Bibles. I pulled one out, you know. And, I, and, and they had stuck this piece of paper in the beginning of the Bible. They had printed it up themselves. And it said, it said how I will treat my Bible. And it was a list of rules. I am not making this up, gang. And I'm sitting there, and I'm reading this. It said, I will not write in my Bible. I will not. And, and it just went, I will not eat over my Bible. I will not drink coffee. I'm looking at mine. I got, like, ink everywhere. I got crumbs in it, you know, coffee stains. And, 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 I went to, and at the bottom of it, I couldn't help it. I was so young in the Lord and a bit rebellious still. I took my pen, and I wrote, at the bottom of that, I wrote, I will not read my Bible. <laughs> And I put it because that's what will happen if you didn't do everything that's in it. You wouldn't even read it, you know. So yeah, that was crazy. But yeah, people got some strange. But it's cool to see the Lord. You get excited about something like that, and then to watch the Lord do something with it. Those things are cool, man. You know, and just to hear her and I get to read her Facebook stuff, and she talks about people getting blessed. It just that's that's what it's about, man. That's what it's about. Taking a step of faith. And you had to, am I right? You had to take a step of faith on that because she had to walk away from something that was a sure thing to something it wasn't. Am I right about that? Absolutely. And God honors that, man. 
You know, it's not like, oh, hallelujah to you, but it, it's just God honors that. Take a step of faith. See what he'll do. You never know, man, and, and, and you never will know if you don't. Look at verse 22. For which cause I also, or excuse me, for which cause also I have been much hindered from coming to you, but now having no more place in these parts and having a great desire these many years to come unto you, whensoever I take my journey into Spain, I will come to you. For I trust to see you in my journey and to be brought on my way, thitherward, uh, by you, if first I somewhat uh, filled with your company. So Paul was hindered. And why was he hindered? Paul was hindered because he was so tied up in his mission work. That's really the only thing in this particular case. This is what hindered him. Paul had been out preaching. He had been going out. Now think about this. He's writing to the Romans who he had never met. This is a church that sprung up, and we're still not altogether sure how it sprung up, but it sprung up, and it was sprung up very healthy. What's the odds of that? I mean, today, that's, oh my, I mean, we got so much crazy. Listen, I'm going to throw this out because somebody mentioned this because it goes along with what I'm talking about. The Roman church was very healthy, very healthy. And Paul was writing to them, encouraging them just to keep doing what you're doing, warning them, as we're going to see in, verse, in chapter 16, slight warning, slight admonitions, keep your eyes open for this kind of stuff, because he knew every Christian who's a studier of the Word of God, if you want a book to put on your shelf, get a copy of Dr. Walter Martin's Kingdom of the Cults. It's a quintessential book that needs to be on the shelf of every Christian today. I am shocked at how many people are not able to detect a cult when they see one. And Dr. Walter Martin was so specific and so uh, articulate in his, uh, just a, he's an apologist. Uh, I don't know anybody that would not hold that book up and say, this, there's something wrong with this. No, no, it was the greatest book on the, on the subject that's ever been written in this country. Uh, everybody needs to have a copy of that. And just for your own, for your own, because you're going to run into these people every night, and we need to know how to, to minister to them. I mean, you know, here, and not to get political, and I know it's a political season, but I, I do want to throw this out because this came up on Facebook. Somebody was talking about Mitt Romney. Now, when Mitt Romney uh, ran first, of course, I was on radio then, and uh, I, I saw Christians, people that I knew and, 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 and appreciated and respected, who were jumping on the bandwagon with him. And I said, wait a minute. <laughs> you do realize this guy's a Mormon, right? And this is the response I got. Yeah? What do you mean, yeah? Well, what, what, the Mormon is just another denomination. Oh, no, it's not. The Mormonism is the biggest, one of the largest American cults. I got a great book that was written in 1840. It was written by a man who actually traveled with Joseph Smith and him all the way, well, after he got assassinated, and then all the way to Utah. Great book. It's called The Crimes and Mysteries of Mormonism. Uh, it's a book that they tried to buy up at the time uh, and destroy. This is one of the few that made it. I had a great friend of mine who had an uh, old and rare book. He missed to it. I got a copy of it. I think there is a, a, another guy who got a copy. I think you could buy a facsimile of it now, but I got one of the original copies of it. But no, it's a cult. And, and, and arm yourself with this because here's a guy who, there's no proof of this. And, and in the book, he actually coins it American Islam. I thought that was wild. I mean, here, you know, because that's what it is. You know, Joseph is a prophet. You know, you know, God is one and Joseph is his prophet. 
they say Allah is God and Muhammad is his prophet. It's the same thing. It's the same religion, different continent. You know what I mean? So arm yourself in these things. Because why? We want to be able to minister to these people. I've, I've led people uh, who were Mormons to Jesus Christ. It's not just so you can criticize them. It's not like, hey, you guys are all going to hell. That's not the point. You've got to arm yourself so you understand how you can reach these people. Because these people need to know the Lord. But the last thing we wanted was that guy sitting in the White House. Because, not just because somehow he wasn't fit to be in the White House. That's not my point. But in Mormon theology, they have a prophecy. A lot of people didn't say, most people don't know that Joseph Smith actually ran for president of the United States. Yeah, originally. Nobody knows, not many people know that. But they have a prophecy that eventually one of their own is going to be sitting in the White House, and of course he's going to turn the whole, the, the whole world around. This is their prophecy. That's why it scared me so bad, because Mount Romney wanted it too bad. Romney used to be a Mormon pastor. He was a Mormon pastor, you know, but this guy is so wishy-washy on so many issues, you know. They have this very stringent legalistic uh, theology, which is not a theology, but in their, in their mind it is. But it's very strict as they're tithing and all this other stuff. But yet at the same time, they're very secular in their morals, which is weird because they're, they're, they're decent people. When you look at how family-oriented they are and those type of things, you've got to go, wow, that's, that's really cool. But when you look at how secular they are, it's just absolutely, it's, just, it's a strange dichotomy when you look at it. And so, you know, my only point is, is arm yourself, uh, not just for that, but I mean, get that book and, and, and use it. Uh, you need to know uh, what, what we're coming against. Paul's going to tell this in chapter 16, and, uh, but not many people do. So anyway, getting back to our point. So Paul said that when he, when he was going to go to Spain, he was going to stop and see these guys. So he, he supposed, really, that he would visit uh, the Romans uh, on some future trip into Spain where he would preach the gospel uh, to the, that particular frontier and then stop off at Rome on his way. It's been speculated by some that it is probable that Paul wanted to make Rome his base of operations for the whole western part of that empire, and uh, just as he had done Antioch for the eastern part. So whether that's true or not, I don't know. But he did say he wanted to, to see them on his journey. And so, like all of us, you know, Paul had his plans, yet sometimes things don't work out according to our plans. You know, the Bible says men make their plans, but it's God that directs their steps. So, you know, Paul had his plans. He wanted to do, this is what I'm going to do. You know, if the Lord permits, of course, that Paul knew that, Paul would eventually get to Rome. That part was true, but it would not be as a missionary at least not the way he thought. On his way to Spain, you know, he would wind up going there as a prisoner of the Roman Empire. He would get to evangelize, but it would be in the house of Caesar. And a lot of people would come to know the Lord because of it, you know, but not quite the way Paul had in, envisioned it. Look at verse 25. But now, he says, I go unto Jerusalem to minister unto the saints. For it hath pleased them of Macedonia and Acacia to make certain contribution for the poor saints which were at Jerusalem. It hath pleased them verily, and their debtors they are. For if the Gentiles have been made partakers of their spiritual things, their duty is also to minister unto them in carnal things. When, therefore, I have performed this, and have sealed unto them this fruit, I will come by you into Spain. And I am sure that when I come unto you, I shall come in the fullness of the blessing of the gospel of Christ. So Paul wanted to minister to the saints back in Jerusalem. In the early 70s, there was this uh, 
commune movement. Many of us probably were, know it. I know within Calvary Chapel we had what we called Joshua houses. And it was kind of the thing. People kind of read the book of Acts and they saw where everybody sold everything and had all things in common. And they stopped there. They stopped there. And they go, hey, that sounds like a great idea. No, that's called communism. And it doesn't work. They don't call it a commune for nothing. It's communism, okay? And it doesn't work. What happened? You had great guys like Apollos who sold everything he had. Then you had other people who wanted to be a part of it, Aquila, or not Aquila, uh, but Ananias and Sapphira didn't work out so well for them. But, you know, they all wanted to be a part of this whole thing, you know. So they come and they lay it all down to the feet of the apostles who they didn't even know. They didn't know. But yet everybody was on fire and everybody's going, yeah, let's do this thing. And so they did. And what happened? It fell apart. Why? Because it's got people involved in it. When you got people involved in it, eventually it's going to fall apart. When you got people who have sold everything, and, I, and let's face it, you get a guy who's given up everything, who worked hard all his life, he's accumulated a lot of stuff, and so he gives up. And then the next thing you know, you got some people who maybe didn't accumulate quite so much. Maybe they gave up some, and then, but then you get other people later on down the road who come in and want to be a part of it, who ain't never give up anything. So they're coming in look, looking to you know, freeload, you know, and it just, it, it just fell apart. So here's what happened. In Jerusalem, the church in Jerusalem by this time is hurting. But they're still a church. And Paul is actually trying to help them out. And so Paul does make this statement, and I think it's interesting. He says, look, you know, these guys, because of them preaching the gospel, the church of Jerusalem, they have sown spiritual things to these, to these Gentiles. It's only fair that they in turn would then help them out with carnal things. And I agree with that. You know, the Bible says, let him who is taught communicate to them who teaches it all good things. You know, there's always that give and take with those things. But with these guys, you know, Paul was just kind of, he wanted to see them be a part of that. So it's that whole carnal thing for spiritual things swapping here. So Paul had a good, you know, good intentions and he certainly would wind up taking that offering to them. And so he says, I shall go by way of Spain. As I told you before, Paul would indeed wind up at Rome after a time in Jerusalem, but it would not be the way that he planned. Let's go ahead and finish up. Look at verse 30. He says, Now I beseech you, brethren, for the Lord Jesus Christ's sake and for the love of the Spirit that you strive together. If you're taking notes, you ought to underline that. That you strive together with me in your prayers to God for me that I may be delivered from them that do not believe in Judea, and that uh, my service which I have for Jerusalem may be accepted of the saints, and that I may come unto you with joy by the will of God, and may with you be refreshed. Now the God of peace be with you all. Amen. First off, Paul talks about being delivered by them that didn't believe in Judea. Paul's prayer for deliverance was a sincere plea because he had already been warned several times about the danger that he was going to be awaiting him when he got to Jerusalem. You can check that. Go back and read Acts chapter 20 and Acts chapter 21. It kind of covers that. So Paul could see and wanted help with the difficulties that were promised to him. But he makes this point here. He says, I want you to strive together with me. This is a very important segment of this, of this verse because Paul earnestly wanted these guys to pray for him. Now think about this. He didn't know them personally. He, he didn't have no 
you know, like we do. We, you know, we're around each other. We, we worship together. I mean, we have camaraderie. You know, we have that proximity. He didn't have that. These were people he really didn't even know. And yet he wanted them to earnestly strive in prayer to God for his sake. That, that he would be delivered to people that didn't believe when he got to Judea. You know, another version of the Bible actually says, join, this verse, and I kind of like it. He says, join in my struggle by praying to God for me. You know, join in my struggle. Ministers need prayers. They do. Pastors need prayers. They desperately do. And so often, you know, it's easier to just pick and criticize than it is to pray. I will always be on the side of the pastors, man. I just will. And I don't care which church they're pastoring. You know why? Because I've been there. I've done it. I know. You know it, it can be a source of enormous blessing. It can also be a source of enormous heartache. When you realize that most pastors, most of them, don't really have any close friends. That's a barn study. And I've, back, I've, I've checked this out. You know, uh, I used to think I had a lot of close friends. I, I really don't. Not that you don't want them, but so often people, because of what you do, I don't, I'm not sure what the issue with that is, but these guys really, really need the prayers. So I would urge you, myself, just like Paul is here, you know, to strive in your prayers for the pastors, man. Keep these guys in prayers. You know, pray, pray, pray for these guys. You know, and, and if you make a little note of it, put me in the tab, put me in the list too, you know. Pray for me. I mean, I... I there's people, anytime there's great opportunity, there's always going to be great opposition. You know, we're reaching out. You know, we're, we're doing it not only as a church, but, but this, this study. You know, this is on radio. And it's being heard, you know, by lots and lots of people. And God is going to use it. And, and you're a part of that. And I want you to understand it. So keep that in prayer. You know, so, so often, I remember, you know, I was on radio for so many, for so many years. And you do it. I was on every day. And a lot of it was live. I did seven, like, what, seven live shows a week, not to mention all the tape shows that we were doing. And so it just kind of gets to be a thing that you do. You don't really keep track of who's listening and who don't. You, most people never write to a show. They really don't. I mean, when you're doing live radio, I mean, it's hard to get people to really interact that way. But years later, I remember standing in the congregation, and I remember looking at We had a pretty good, pretty good house that day. And I remember asking, I said, you know, how many people, just out of curiosity, how many people are here because of the radio show? And over half of the hands in that place went up. I, I, was, I was absolutely floored, would not have expected that. Because why? They just kind of trickled in, like, you know, like every church grows. It, you know, you don't really make note of, you don't ask, well, how come you're coming here? What brought you here, mister? You know, we want to know. No, you don't do that. You greet them, you need to love on them, and they sit in the pew, and they become a part of you. But then I, found, I started finding, I had this one young man <coughs> who I loved dearly. His name was Chris. And he became a real integral part of our ministry. He became a sound guy and, and helped out in the sound. He helped out in the radio station. He just helped. He's just a great guy. He's about 30-some years old. Young man, but just, just a big help. And I remember one day we were sitting up at a radio station, and, and uh, we were getting ready to go on the air. And he was just sharing, you know. And I was telling him about somebody else, and he goes, well, that's how I came to the Lord. I said, well, what do you mean? He goes, well, I was, you know, he's staying at his mom's house because he wasn't married. And his bedroom was there. He says, I got this radio. He said, it was sitting up there next to my bed. He says, and I started listening to this guy every night. 
And I said, really? What guy? I was, I was dead serious. He went, you. He said, I listened to him. And he says, you know, after about the third night, man, he said, you gave an invitation. I gave, I gave my life to Christ. I had no idea. I said, why didn't you tell me that before? He goes, well, you never asked. <laughs> but what I come to find out was that there was so many people that that was the case with. So many. You know, so once again, you know, you, you just kind of go about the thing and you just do your thing with the Lord and let God use it, you know. But praying for people and praying, striving together. You know, th this, this term here, when he says strive with me, in the Greek, it means to agonize. And there's only one other place in the Bible that it's used, and that's when Jesus used it in the Garden of Gethsemane. When he told his own disciples, he said, pray with me. What he said was, agonize with me for one hour. Can you do that with me? And they didn't. You know, so they left the Lord to agonize on his own. You know, I'm not picking on the guys, um, you know, but it is what it is, you know. And so often, but I'm, I'm encouraging you, let's strive together, you know. Let's pray for the pastors. Pray for me, you know. Pray for anybody that's doing ministry in this church, but especially those who have that weight of responsibility on them, you know. Uh, and, and strive with them. Pray, pray for these guys hard. Don't just... Listen, everybody, I don't care who you are, how long you've been in ministry, it's easy to pick. It's easy to find fault. But think about this. Think about this. I don't care what size the congregation or who they are. These are men who come and they fill that void, you know, every week, faithfully. And it's not something that they just, you know, they could, well, I heard a guy tell me, one day, well, that's easy to do because I only work once a week. When are you out of your mind? They're not working once. These guys are on call constantly, 24-7. You know, I've had people call me at some of the... I had a guy call me one time at 4 o'clock in the morning. Now, it was a good thing for him. I'm an early riser. But I wasn't out of bed yet. And this guy wasn't even a part of our congregation. This was some guy in town. He calls me up. And, of course, I pick it up. I was like, hello, hello. I was this Pastor Doug. Uh, yeah. He's going, oh, well, are, was you in bed? And I look over at the clock, and it's like 4 in the morning. I said, it's 4 o'clock in the morning. He said, well, I thought you'd be up praying. And then I got mad, you know. <laughs> I, won't even, I, won't even, I won't even go on from there. But that's, but that's the mindset of people. No, these guys, they have an enormous amount of, you know, pray for them, man, strive for them. Agonize with us in prayer. You know, some people think it's kind of strange that Paul here, Paul is a super, you know, dino whopping apostle, you know, asking these people he don't even know. But that really, you know, I like what Spurgeon said. Spurgeon, Charles Spurgeon said, it is the rule with the truly great to think most highly of others. You know, to not put themselves, you know. He went on to say this. He said, in proportion, as a man grows in grace, he feels his dependence upon God. And in a certain sense, his dependence upon God's people. I like that. And that was Paul. That's why he's asking these guys he didn't even know. Strive with me. Agonize with me in prayer. On my behalf, pray for me. Paul had felt like these people were part of his ministry. And they were. Just as you guys are a part of my ministry. We're on radio together. It ain't just my mouth. We're on it together. We're doing this together. And people's lives are being touched by that. You know, we might not ever meet them. We might not ever see them. But it happens. It's, it's, it's going on. And people are coming to know the Word of God simply because we're there. You know, and we've making this choice. We've made a decision to teach other people. 
So it's not just us. You know, God has given us a very big opportunity, and we're taking it. So Paul looked at these guys. We're all part of it together. Strive with us, you know. Let me just finish up. He says, and that my service to Jerusalem might be accepted by the saints. Paul knew that the church in Jerusalem was very conservative, and they were. But they sometimes regarded men like Paul as dangerous innovators. You know, Paul wasn't like, you know, especially in Jerusalem, they questioned him a lot, even after he'd been an apostle for quite some time. Why? Because Paul didn't always do things according to the way they thought he should do them. Paul was a man who believed in the grace of God. He believed and he taught and he, it wasn't beyond him to do things that was outside of their norm, you know, so he rocked the world a little bit. So he wanted their prayers that these guys, that when he did bring the gift that would help them, that they would be more accepting of it. So Paul makes this plea to them for their agonizing prayers with him about this very issue. Read ahead, chapter 16. We got some really cool stuff, but we'll be finishing that up. You guys ought to be proud of yourself, man. We've done this, like, what, 18 weeks in a row, you know? And we've, we've covered the entire book of Romans, which is absolutely amazing. Hebrews is even going to be better, guaranteed. Read ahead. Father, we love you, and we thank you so much for your word. Lord, we pray that as we study and as we dive in, Lord Father, really uh, to your word, that you would bless not only those of us who are sitting here, Lord Father, but that you would take it, Lord Father, as you have on radio and that you would just simply spread it to other people and stir up that hunger in them, Lord Father, for your word, that they too in turn would become self-feeders and grow and become strong Christians with a great reputation in the body of Christ, just as those in the book of Romans were, Lord. Father, we do thank you. Ask that you would bless them here to hear, bless them who listen by radio. We love you so much, and we thank you for all that you're doing, all that you want to do. Lord, help us to just to bask in your favor. We love you, and we thank you. In Jesus' name, amen.